we are in the third week of a series that we are calling Strangers. Strangers living for a better kingdom. Because if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you belong to a better kingdom. I'm not arguing with whether or not you happen to have residence temporarily. You may even have a passport in whatever country you happen to belong to. You may be a citizen of these United States of America. But if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, your ultimate, your first, your primary citizenship is in heaven. You belong to a better kingdom, an unending, undivided, undefeatable kingdom. And you belong to a better kingdom, not just one day when you die, but right now. If you have claimed Jesus as your savior, if you have crowned Jesus as your king, and if you have committed to following him as your Lord, you belong to a better kingdom right now. Because after all, the kingdom of God is anywhere where Jesus' agenda and Jesus' affairs reign. In this series, we want to figure out what does it look like to live in light of that better kingdom. Because to belong to a better kingdom means to be invited to live a better way. What does it look like to lean into and to live in light of that better kingdom and to live in light of this better way? Um, Matthew chapter 5. This is the section of scripture we've been in as Jesus is teaching us. These principles, these codes of living in light of his kingdom. And it is super, super strange. Um, If you have a copy of the Bible, you can meet me there. Matthew chapter 5. And I'm going to start reading at verse 1 by way of quick review. Matthew chapter 5, verse number 1. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. Because again, living in light of the kingdom is for followers of Jesus. It's not for fair weather fans. This is for people who have crowned him king and committed to living in following after him. Listen, if Jesus isn't your king, you are not really going to care about living in light of his kingdom. You are going to live for him when it's convenient to you. But the affairs of the kingdom are for those who have committed themselves to him. And Jesus is speaking to them. And he says, Blessed are verse 3 the first words out of Jesus mouth to those who have crowned him king to those who have committed to following after him are the words blessed are and for those of you who joined us last week we leaned into this a little bit the idea of blessed is the idea of complete Happiness, And we've said whenever you see that phrase blessed in this conversation, you can feel free to replace it with the phrase, oh, how completely 
happy. Oh, how completely happy are those who live beneath my crown and who live in light of my kingdom. To live in light of the kingdom is not just to live a better way. It's to live with an ever-increasing happiness. It's to stand beneath the floodgates of heaven's joy. Ooh, I've been loving this. And like I said to you, it's going to take a minute. It's going to take a minute. My soul needs a lot of retraining from my upbringing. I don't know if you grew up in the church like I grew up in the church. But I I can tell you this from from growing up. Um, I grew up believing Jesus was a grouchy Grinch. There I said it in church. Not only did he have this constantly mad facial expression, but Jesus really couldn't stand anyone being happy. Jesus was on this campaign to figure out whatever it was that you liked and made you happy so he could snatch it away from you and just snicker at your misery. And I believed that. About Jesus. Um, And then it didn't help that most Christians I knew proved it. (laughs) Oh man, they were strict and stuffy and snooty and sour, but not happy. Not I'm just studying the scriptures. Oh, look, we discovered another thing the Bible prohibits. Thou shalt not. They were just miserable. And strangely enough, the more they were into Jesus, the weirder they were. And worse than that, it seemed like the people who loved Jesus most had the worst fashion sense. Just absolute poor dresses. I wanted nothing to do with a mad Jesus, miserable people who had no fashion sense. And then Matthew chapter 5 opens up. And it paints a picture of nothing less than a happy king inviting his followers to live happily in his happy kingdom. That's not what I learned growing up. And by the way, I'm going to give you one additional thing. And this is just bonus for free. If you read Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, and you picture Jesus frowning and not smiling, you might have the wrong Jesus. But come on, be honest. Blessed are the poor in spirit. I still struggle to part company from miserable Jesus. But he's the happy king inviting us into living happily. Come on, if you've never claimed Jesus as your savior, if you've never crowned Jesus as your king, my question for you is what do you have against happiness? Because apparently in his kingdom is where the stuff is found. But it won't look like you might expect. In fact, it will look upside down. Downright strange. Don't believe me? Look at what Jesus says about happiness in his kingdom in verse number four. 
Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Huh? Que? My daughter's learning Spanish, so that's the only word I know. Oh, how completely happy are the sad people? What? Jesus, you can't say stuff like that. That's why people think you're always mad. And Christians are always snooty and stuffy. And that might explain, by the way, why Christians are sad. Because they're like, there's our verse right there. Blessed are the miserable. We're here for it. Jesus, you can't say stuff like that. Like sad and happy are opposites. Matter of fact, if you want to experience happiness, you've got to get rid of all sadness. Happy are the crying people. Oh, how completely happy are those who mourn. I'm not going to lie. This is a hard one for me. For a variety of reasons, probably one of the main ones being, I hate crying. Like with a passion. And I don't mean like, oh, I hate crying in front of people. I hate crying in front of or behind anything. I hate crying. Suckers, man. It, it, it conjures in me nothing but the ickiest of feels. Not my thing. And I think there are a number of reasons for that. But, but one of them is I grew up in a context in which crying, especially for a boy, was a Absolute evidence of weakness. If you want to be mocked and if you want to be shamed, just start crying. Because crying is a sign of weakness. And I believed that. And it was proven because the times that I can remember in my life like ugly crying I felt weak and I felt ashamed and I wanted nothing to do with it. The first time I remember was I was probably about 10 or 11. My, um, my parents, whose permission I did not get to tell this story, they were going through uh, a rough patch as parents do. And during that patch, they would have animated slash escalated conversations and by escalated conversations think Donald Trump Joe Biden debate number one just ineligible you couldn't understand anything but what I discovered quickly was I hated the sound of my parents fighting and so when they would start to argue I would go to my room and I'd cover my ears and I would put the covers over my head and I would just Cry. I remember one time it got so bad that my mom said, that's it. I'm going to go spend the night at my parents' place. Man, 
I felt like our family was completely broken, like Humpty Dumpty and nothing could put it back together. I was shattered. I remember, again, just going into my bed and crying and crying and sobbing and sobbing and sobbing. And my brother and my dad could not console me. When my brother mocked me, my dad tried to console me in either case to no avail. I was a hot mess. The one thing I can tell you for sure is I did not feel blessed. Second time was a couple of years later. Now I'm, I'm, I fell in love. As a 13 year old would do, right? Um, I just knew she was the one. I just knew it. The problem was she was kind of out of my league. Shock of all shocks, she was interested too. Now I don't find it shocking, you know. But no, shock of all shocks. She was completely interested. And so we just made a pact that we would grow old together. Now, to her credit, she had the decency to call me on the rotary phone at my house the next day and tell me she had a change of mind. I hear she's ugly and unemployed. I don't know how she's doing, but uh, you can dream. But anyway, so... My heart cracked right down the middle. I was devastated. I don't remember if I went to school. It's just black that whole season. I remember though I would come into my room for hours and I would cover my head and just cry and cry and cry. I didn't want to eat. I didn't want to hang out with anybody. I didn't want to see anybody. I didn't want to talk to anybody. I felt completely heart wrenched. Now, what I can tell you, I bring that up to say, in both of those scenarios, I felt completely out of control. I felt ashamed. I felt weak. I definitely did not feel blessed. It was awful. The whole crying thing just wasn't for me. And I remember at about the age of 14, I'm like, I don't want to do this ever again. And I made a vow. I am not going to feel this way ever again. I am never going to feel this out of control and this devastated ever again. I am not crying anymore. I'm done. And you know the crazy thing? I actually succeeded. Like, I've experienced a lot of painful things, a lot of hard things, but I just bite my lip. I suck it up, but I'm not going to that place of uncontrollable crying. Mm -mm, That is not for me. Ask my kids. Their mother is a hot mess. She cries about everything like a girl. I'm a man, stoic and strong. I feel nothing the way it should be. I share all of this to say, when I turn to Matthew chapter 5 and I see, oh, how completely happy are those who mourn. I feel like Jesus and I are in an agree to disagree situation. Like we have a very strong difference of opinion. What are you going to do? Sometimes you just got to agree to disagree. The problem is disagreeing with Jesus just makes you wrong all of the time. 
this one has been hard for me. Oh, how completely happy are those who mourn. You are telling me it is possible for the past 30 years that this commitment I've made has actually played a part in keeping me from experiencing happiness. I don't know, Jesus, but I'm listening. This one has been hard for me. Is it possible that while strong and safe and stoic may be pretty cool and manly in the cultures of men, that those very things hold happiness at bay in the kingdom of Jesus? Because verse 4 says, Oh, how completely happy are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. All right. I'm listening, Jesus. What does this mean? What does this mean? The word mourn um, is a word that means to express experienced sorrow. It's the art of expressing the sadness that I experience to mourn. When something difficult happens, no matter how seemingly insignificant, from someone marked my outfit to I lost a close friend. When something difficult happens, my heart is going to experience a sting. I will feel a sting. Mourning is how I most honestly express that sorrow or sadness. Isn't that interesting? We think in our culture that happiness is avoiding painful feelings. Jesus says, nope, in the kingdom, oh, how completely happy is the person who most honestly expresses the pain that they experience. Happy are those who mourn. And I cannot help but wonder if one of the reasons we don't experience complete happiness in the church isn't because we don't mourn well. We don't do mourning well, so we don't do happy well. Matter of fact, mourning flies in the face of our culture, a culture that is committed to the mantra, maximize pleasure, minimize pain. Pain is the villain that we must avoid, avoid at all costs whatsoever. When we experience pain, that is the universal cue. It's time to run, man. Get as far away from it as possible. We don't mourn well. Mourning is for suckers. When we experience sadness, we don't mourn. 
We minimize. Uh, whatever. I don't even care. He was a terrible dad anyway. Just minimize it. If we don't minimize it, we, we deny it. Hurt? I'm not hurt. Feeling hurt? I'm a man. I don't feel those things. I'm an Enneagram one. Now fix it. But I don't feel hurt. We don't mourn. We numb. I am going to drink. I'm going to use. I'm going to binge on porn on Netflix. Anything to get away from this sting that my heart is feeling. Maximize pleasure. Minimize pain. We don't mourn. We blame. When we feel something is hurting inside of us, then we're immediately going to try and figure out whose fault it is so that we can direct all of our feelings towards them. Because man, it's easier to fight an enemy than to face my loss. Or we rage. Ooh, we get big mad. Man, the church, as we've said a number of times, is so angry. We rage. And one of the reasons we rage is because anger is an emotion I feel more in control of. In fact, when I say it, I say like that. I got angry. I got so mad, man. Mad is what I get. I got mad. Hurt, that happened to me. I felt no control over it. So I got mad. And the funny thing is mad is just a church full of hurting people who don't want to admit it. Man, we rage. If we don't rage, we don't definitely don't mourn. We move on. Oh, we're good at that. Come on, I have things to do. Things don't take care of themselves. I don't have time to, to, to sit around, feel sorry for myself, and cry over spilled milk. It's not spilled milk. That was a miscarriage. Well, in any event, we don't have time to sit around and just feel pity for our Cells. We don't mourn, we move on. If we don't move on, we busy ourselves. Oh, we will add to the to-do list. There's one more thing to do. And I've got to take care of this. Because I've got to be productive. And so I'm going to figure out a house project to take care of. I may even figure out a house project to take care of at somebody else's house who didn't ask for my help. And I might even call it serving. In the name of the Lord. We don't mourn well In our culture. Our culture does not invite us to express our pain. Our culture invites us to escape it. Maximize pleasure. Minimize pain. And then Jesus shows up. And he says. In my kingdom. My followers. They don't numb. They mourn. They don't run and distract themselves. They honestly express what it is 
that they are feeling. Isn't that crazy to think that what's standing in the way of many of us experiencing complete happiness is our refusal to express the pain that we experience. Living in light of the kingdom means getting better at mourning. Man, I, this has been so interesting for me. It just felt like I am... I had to enroll in beginner's school for mourning. Like I had to just start at the beginning. Just mourning for beginners. Which is honestly what I feel like I have done. So bear with me as I make some beginner's observations about mourning. Observation number one. It struck me that mourning is a choice. Mourning is a choice. Sorrow is inevitable. Sorry to break it to you. But mourning is a choice. I cannot avoid experiencing sadness. It is going to happen. Hey, part company with that absolute crazy delusion. Your heart is going to break. You are going to get a phone call you did not expect. Cannot avoid experiencing sadness, but I can avoid expressing the sting because mourning is a choice. Hurt, inevitable. Mourning, that's intentional. It's a choice. Because I can hurt and never mourn. I can experience sorrow, but never express it honestly. When I was 14, I thought I was making a decision never to hurt. No one's going to hurt me like that again. I am going to be unhurtable. No, I was not making a choice not to hurt. I was making a choice not to mourn. Because mourning is a choice. It's a choice. I find it really interesting that in the Old Testament, when Moses died, the Israelites, his people, mourned him for 30 days. They were devastated. They mourned him for 30 days. At the end of that 30-day period, God showed up. And you know what he said to them through Joshua? Stop it. Enough. What? Isn't that interesting? It is to me. God did not say to them, enough hurting. God did not say to them, stop grieving. God said to them, okay, stop mourning. We have work to do. Because grief and the sting may linger for years, but mourning is a choice. Mourning is a choice. And Jesus says, in the kingdom, the happiest people are the ones who make 
the choice to mourn, to honestly express the sorrow that they are experiencing. Mourning is a choice. I, I, that helped me. Um, and it was actually good news for a person like me. Because it meant this, if mourning is a choice, it means mourning is not a personality type. It means mourning is not a wiring thing. You know how we sometimes say like, oh, she's very emotional. He's one of the sensitive types. Which might tempt us to start to believe there are certain people who mourning is their thing. I'm not wired that way. No. In the kingdom, there are no criers. There are only choosers. In the kingdom, there's not those who are more sensitive and those who aren't. There is only those who choose to express their sadness and those who don't. And Jesus says... Oh, how completely happy are those who courageously choose to express their sadness. It's a choice. I don't know who you've been blaming, what genetics you've been blaming. If you've been blaming your dad for passing on the I don't cry gene, therefore I don't mourn. No, mourning is a choice. It is not a gender thing. It's not a personality thing. Mourning, that's for those Enneagram fours. You know how the sixes get. No. It is a choice. If you're not experiencing the happiness heaven attaches to mourning, it's not a personality thing. It's a choice. I made a decision at 14 and I can make a different decision today. You can decide from now on that you will grow in the practice of expressing the hurt you experience. No matter how significant it is. And I'm talking to us dudes. Oh man. You know how we do because we're like, well, I'm a man. I should not be hurt over this thing. Stuff it, stuff it, stuff it, deny, deny, deny it. This level of spiritual maturity, rubber and glue. Now, you can make a choice to start to acknowledge like, oh man, ouch to that. Because it is a choice. Now. Follower of Jesus who wants to experience the heights of happiness has to choose to express the depths of sadness. This is messing me up. See, I wanted, I want to experience your happiness, God. But I want nothing to do with experiencing or expressing your sadness. <laughs> nope. Happiness and sadness are roommates. They live in the same house. If you escape one, you evict the other. 
It should be no surprise that Jesus would say, no, no, no. The deepest expressions and experiences of sadness is the same place the deepest experiences and expressions of happiness live. You want one, but you don't want the other. It's not possible. And yet you can make a different choice. You don't get to choose what hurts your heart. And again, come on dudes. Your team lost that football game and you felt like you were about to cry. Because it hurt. And what you did was like, I'm a man. I shouldn't be hurt over football. But you are. You don't get to choose what hurts you. You only get to choose whether or not you honestly express it. And in the kingdom of heaven, the followers of Jesus Christ get better and better at this because they choose to do it. Do you side with a culture or do you side with the kingdom? Man, I have made the choice to mourn again. It has been gloriously weird. Super strange. I'd recommend it. The second beginner's observation. Mourning offers options. If you study the idea of mourning in the Bible, you notice that uh, mourning isn't just a choice. It, it's, it offers many choices. See, I always thought that mourning was just a synonym. It was just another word for crying. It's not. Crying is a way that you could choose to express the sorrow that you're experiencing, but it's not the only way. Matter of fact, you can cry and not mourn. You could be like hungry crying. You could be mad crying. You could be, I don't know why I'm crying crying. You could be, I'm a super emotional person who cries easily crying. Those people exist. But just because you're crying doesn't mean you're mourning. Now, if on the other hand, you choose to express what you are feeling through your tears. Now, that is a way to mourn, but it is not the only way to mourn. Man, um, when Job was experiencing his epic devastation. His friends came and they joined him in mourning and they mourned with silence. Silence. They chose to mourn with silence. It's almost this way of, I I don't have the words to speak right now. So I'm just going to say, ouch, quiet. When Joseph's older brother Reuben believed that his brother Joseph was dead, he chose to mourn by tearing his clothes. His way of honestly expressing what his heart felt like. It made sense. Many in in the Bible would mourn by putting on unfair flattering clothes and removing all accessories or all makeup or, you know, all auxiliary effects as their way of saying, I want my appearance to reflect my agony. 
Why should I try and pretty up when pretty is not what I feel? And so they would mourn through their attire. When King David's son was sick, David chose to mourn by fasting. He refused to eat as his way of saying nothing sounds good to me. Everything sounds like sadness. And so he chose to fast. There's a story in the New Testament of a tax collector who is mourning his sin and he chooses to beat his chest over and over again with his fist. Why? It's his way of honestly saying, like, I don't believe I deserve anything good. I've messed up before you, God, so bad I don't deserve anything good. That was his way of mourning. Mourning is a choice with many choices of expression. That was helpful for me to hear. Because, man, I may be a terrible crier. I don't know if you knew that. But that does not mean I can't still choose to mourn. Because there's so many ways I can honestly express my sadness. In the kingdom of God, the happiest people choose to most honestly express their sorrow. How they choose to do it is up to them. There are many options you will always have a variety of healthy and honest ways that you can express your sorrow the primary concern choose one and choose to express it the other day something happened to me and i realized that my heart was hurting um And man, it was one of those, like, I am too manly to be hurting about this. Why is my manly heart, stoic and strong as it is, hurting about this? But I've chosen to mourn. I literally remember standing in my room and putting my head against the doorframe. And just saying quietly... This really hurts. That's the end of the story. For the first time in a long time, I acknowledged something hurt. I can imagine my heart was like, thank you. You are kind to everyone else except me. Thank you. Now, (laughs) this may have been beginner's luck. I don't know. But the moment I did that, I felt like my shoulders just lifted and there was this strange levity. I'm like, what is this? I am usually in a funk over something like this for at least six hours to six years. And yet here I was like, that was strange. I remember for the next two hours, I'm like, it's coming back. I know it's going to come back. And it did, but just not with the same weight. Or I'm like, what 
What's happening? The roommate started talking or something. And then it occurred to me, man, you know what? There are actually natural places I tend to go when I'm having a hard day. Men don't hurt. I just hear it's a rough. <laughs> right? So I was having one of those. Like, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I just realized like when that happens, there are places I naturally go. Like I'll go to listen to my worship music. Or I'll go out into nature, like to go for a run or to go for a hike in the Winona Trails. But I don't usually acknowledge or express why it is I'm there. And I'm like, I'm going to actually start doing that. Like, I'm out here in the woods because I'm hurting over this. I actually have choices already before me. I just don't use them. And so, like, that's going to change a little bit for me. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to repurpose those places and just start trying this whole expressing the sorrow I experience. Not because it sounds good to me, don't get me wrong, but because I want to accept Jesus' kingdom invitation to find happiness in mourning. Of all the epic and shiny things Jesus could invite us into in his kingdom as his followers, you'd think to go change the world. It's like, oh, mourning. Uh, okay. Morning? Yeah. Matter of fact, I cannot help but believe Jesus is calling his church back to the kingdom joy found in morning. I cannot help but believe Jesus is inviting many of you to mourn. Maybe for the first time, or maybe to mourn again stop just moving on express what's been breaking your heart or hurting you in the most honest of ways i'm telling you i believe for some of us jesus wants us to mourn 2020 We've been so bent on getting out of 2020 and into 2021 and leaving all of that nonsense behind. And Jesus is saying, you have left so much pain back there. I want you to go back and mourn it. Don't just move on. That's what the culture does. That's not what my kingdom does. Express it. He's inviting some of us to mourn those lost relationships that we've minimized for so long. It was just a silly breakup. No, it was heartbreaking. Mourn it. There is actually no such thing as just moving on from it. That's a lie. It's just pushing dysfunction into the future. Um, man, I felt called to mourn people who've left Mission Point. Wrong or right, it feels like a personal rejection almost every time. And my natural instinct is just to rationalize it. Well, the, the church is bigger than, and we're just, the Lord is going to continue to. 
it hurts. And I felt the Lord inviting me back to just mourn it. Just tell me about it. Talk about it. And for some of you, it wasn't just a paycheck. Like, it was a job you loved. I know you got to kind of get on all of the application, you know, sites and, and figure out a new job. Sure. But mourn the job that you lost. It meant more to you than you've expressed. Mourn the loss of health. And for some of you, it's something like you've become a parent and you need to mourn the loss of freedom. But that doesn't feel right. Eh. But is it hard though? The worst. Mm Mm-hmm. Can I go here? I'm going to go here. In fact, I'm going to stand for this. Some of you have spent so much energy raging, mad, blaming, angry. And Jesus is saying to you, Donald Trump is gone. Mourn it. And to some of you, he's saying, mourn the past four years. They've been brutal for you. And to many of you, the Holy Spirit is saying, mind your business. Because you are too busy, like, who on earth would be mourning the last four years? Just mourn your stuff. And other ones of you, who on earth would be mourning Donald Trump out of office? Just mourn your stuff. You're too busy blaming and pointing fingers and assigning blame and finding an enemy. And Jesus is like, come on, mourn. You have many ways that you can express that to me. But that is what my people do, is inviting some of us to mourn, maybe for the first time. Because you want to just move on. And Jesus is saying, "Mm, I want to meet you in the morning. (laughs) It's amazing how many times I've prayed that Jesus meet me. He's like, I'll meet you. Right there in the morning. I'm like, no, I don't do morning. Remember when I was 14? He's like, all right then. Meet me in church. He's like, that's great, but I want to meet you in the morning. He wants to meet us. And I know that for a fact because of the guarantee his followers receive from him if they choose to mourn. Look again at verse 4. Blessed, oh how completely happy are those who mourn for they will be comforted. The choice to mourn comes with a guarantee. Comfort. Comfort is a great word. Comfort means to come alongside and to cheer up without words. 
Oh, man, the Bible is good. The kingdom is awesome. I love the word used for comfort because it's the same word that's often used to describe the Holy Spirit on account of the fact that he comes close and quietly delivers what we need. This is good. Oh, how happy are those courageous enough to choose an honest way to express their sorrow because the Holy Spirit will come alongside and deliver comfort. I want some. He will cheer them up. And this idea of without words means it's an experience. I'm telling you, we can try and say, well, this means that a, 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 a passage of scripture will come to mind. Like, no. It's not a passage of scripture. It's not an encouragement note for for you to think about. It's not perspective for you to consider. He's speaking about heaven coming close and introducing an experience of happiness. I want some. Which means my morning is not just a random expression. This is something else I thought about in my beginner's guide to mourning. But mourning is personal. This makes mourning personal. It's the choice to honestly express what it is that I'm experiencing. The pain that I'm feeling. But not just up there randomly. I am expressing it to a person who comes alongside and can deliver comfort. Mourning is personal. I am honestly expressing all of this stuff to a person, to somebody. Yes, sit in silence. But in the silence of choosing to mourn, you are asking a person why. Jesus, this hurts. I don't get it. In silence, you are speaking to him. Yeah, you beat your chest and tell him, I I, I don't understand this. So I I don't feel like I deserve anything good. Why? Whatever the case might be. But I'm now addressing a person. It's not just random. I am screaming, this hurts. This sucks, God. To a person. And he says, bring it on. Bring your most honest expressions of pain to me as a person. Oh, I can handle it. Bring it on. I am acquainted with suffering. I'm accustomed to pain. I hung on a cross precisely so I could sympathize with you in your greatest. Bring it on. Make it personal. Stop fighting the tears. Let them out and tell him, please see my tears. Would you please consider my tears? It's personal. Journal the pain. Write it out. Dear Jesus, 2020 was terrible. Reason number 4002. But man, it's a note to him. It's a journal to him. I'm not just getting my thoughts out. I'm expressing them to a person. I'm going in nature into the trails and I'm telling him, can I please leave some stuff out here? Can I please not take it back? 
Jesus guarantees a kingdom encounter of the closest kind if you express your pain. And that's an invitation to make it personal, to express it most honestly to him. That is a problem, by the way, with social media. Can we just talk about that? That's it. We talked about it. Stop it. Dear social media. There's nothing that comes out of that. But to express my hurt to him. Comes with a guarantee and it's so beautiful. It's so poetic. There are these two experiences that are bridged by the expression of mourning to him. On the one hand is the experience of sadness and heartache that we will never be able to avoid. And on the other hand is this experience of heaven coming close and delivering cheer without words. And the thing that bridges those two is mourning. You will notice Jesus does not say, I will comfort the sad. Just because you're hurting doesn't mean he's going to mourn, that he's going to bring comfort or he's going to bring joy. Sometimes we talk like that, like, man, I'm so sad. Jesus is surely going to just see it and he's going to show up because I'm sad. No, there is a bridge between these two experiences. And I'm telling you, I want to get from here to here as often as possible. But there is a pathway, it's an invitation. To move through mourning and to express to him the honest things that I am experiencing. I'm closing, but i got to say one more thing. It would be remiss for me not to mention this. I, I honestly think as we start to do this in the smallest things. Smallest things. I think we'll find ourselves doing it in in the bigger things as well. But I think when it's all said and done, this passage is, is an invitation to a kingdom level of mourning. And I'm telling you, I'm at the beginner's level, but I want to reach that kingdom graduate level of mourning. And I think in this passage, there is the insinuation. That there is a kind of mourning that we are ultimately aspiring to. And it's the mourning that says, but God, would you do that thing where you break my heart over what breaks yours? I don't get to choose what I hurt over, so I'm begging you though, would you cause the things that hurt my heart to be the things that hurt your heart? Would you cause me to experience sadness over the things that bring you sadness? Would you cause my heart to break over my own sin? May I mourn my own sin. God, I messed up again. And I'm sorry for continuing in these things that put Jesus on the cross. Lord, I mourn for the sin of this nation. This breaks my heart because I know it breaks you. Can you imagine what is going to start to happen as the church not only carries its own grief, but starts to carry the grief of God and bring that stuff to him. I'm now in the trails pleading on behalf of someone else who's mourning. 
Now I'm out there in the nature begging on behalf of injustices because this breaks your heart. May it break mine as well. Would you graduate us to that place where it becomes so much more than just about us? May the king's agenda become our affection. May the abuses that are being carried out against vulnerable kids not be something we can just move on against because we have our own problems. But would you break our hearts for what breaks yours? And then all of a sudden we start to mourn what God's heart mourns over. Can you imagine what will happen in our world when you have a movement of people who are agreeing with God? We hate this. I hate this too. But believe it or not, you are the people I've left in that middle phase to be the difference. As you're mourn for what breaks my heart, watch what I do on the other side. Oh, how completely happy is the person who learns to grieve the things that grieve God's heart and carry them to him. Because I believe they will experience so much happiness. They will have enough not just for them. But for the culture around them. They will have enough joy not just for them. But to lend a little to a miserable culture. And I want to be a part of that. But it begins with a courageous choice to mourn. I don't know what he's calling you to do. I don't know how he's inviting you to begin this journey or to continue this journey. But I know he's inviting his church back to mourning. Because he's inviting his church back to joy. And as we'll see at the end of this, he's inviting his church to be a means of joy in the world around us. So Jesus, thank you for your invitation. Thank you for your promise. Give us the courage to accept it. Give us the courage to practice it. Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen.